0: everyone and welcome to another episode of the future ear radio podcast i'm very excited for this discussion with dr brandy smiley brandy thanks so much for being here today why don't you share a little bit about who you are and what you do
1: Hi. Thank you so much, Dave, for having me. Um, My name is Brandy Smiley. Some of you may know me by Carla, but I do prefer Brandy. And I am a local mobile audiologist in the state of Georgia. My history um, stemmed from the VA, and then I transitioned to educational audiology. But now I am kind of tampering with this um, entrepreneurship. And I'm just happy to be here and thank you for the opportunity.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Well, I want to definitely get into the various phases of your audiology (laughs) career. Um, I met you at ADA um, Mm -hmm. during the mobile audiology pre-conference workshop. And Honestly, I was just really blown away with the business that you've created with um, on-site mobile audiology. Um, So we'll get into that as the conversation goes, but why don't we go back to the start? Uh, I love to hear people's backstory. So Mm -hmm. share how you even came to um, become an audiologist and what was the motivation behind that?
1: Sure. Um, at the age of six or seven, a teacher noticed that I was having some trouble in the classroom. So she had that hard conversation with my parents and decided that I needed to have um, an evaluation by an educational audiologist. So my first experience was kind of experiencing the stigma of audiology. The audiology department was housed in a special needs school. And I remember at that young age, not wanting to have a label and be defined by that label. So I remember those feelings immensely. But I also remember the feeling of walking into this bright open space and seeing this friendly which I knew then as an audiologist and uh, she was just welcoming the bright blue cobalt blue um booth and welcoming me in was just something that um stuck with me and that's when I kind of knew I was intrigued by it and wanted to know more so I was really young
0: that's super interesting Mm -hmm. okay so were you then fit with um hearing aids at that age
1: So here's the thing. I was never fit with hearing aids. And I don't know, I've had this conversation with my parents, why? My understanding is I think my hearing loss was so high frequency that at the time there were no hearing aids that could really um, create any benefit for that. So I do think my, that was why my parents opted not to fit me. Um, but I didn't even have an IEP or 504. I just remember always having preferential seating and excelling in my studies. And so, um, you know, I didn't have that classic, I feel like the challenges that a lot of people have with hearing loss and I was still able to excel. Okay. All right.
0: Yeah. Interesting. So, you, um, you had this foundational experience sure. and when did you, so where did you go to undergrad and, and how did you go from undergrad to deciding that you wanted to get the AUD?
1: Sure. So, of course, there were no undergrad programs in audiology. There was only communication science and disorders. So I went to Valdosta State University. I knew for a fact that I did not want to be a speech language pathologist. I knew that because my mom was a principal. I shadow SLPs and I respect their work greatly, but I knew that was not what I wanted to do. And so the goal was to get some education in the field of education, learn some special ed law, and eventually become an educational audiologist. So that was my goal at the time of undergrad. So just kind of making it work. I got my undergraduate degree in early childhood education, a minor in music. Um, and then after um, undergrad, I was going to stay and get my master's in communication sciences disorder. right, went to a teacher recruitment um, meeting, and this was in the state of Florida. And there were some individuals from Nova Southeastern University. And they had, I saw audiology in big letters and automatically be lined to uh, that setup and had that conversation about the program, needed to establish um, Florida residency. So I moved to teach in Florida to establish that residency for a year. And then transition into going into the residential AED program. Okay, so it came and, back full circle. And,
0: and so, what was the motivation to go the educational audiology route? Do you just love working with kids, and what was the um, what was the thought there?
1: I think it stemmed from my first experience with an audiologist and that was the educational audiologist, but also having a mother that was a principal and she had uh, six sisters that were also educators. So I just grew up in that culture and had great respect for the education system. So that's really what led me that direction.
0: I love it. Okay, cool. So that's how you came to the decision to become an audiologist. This makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, And so then kind of walk me through those first um, portions of your audiology career. You mentioned you were an educational audiologist. You worked at the VA. Um, So what was that period of your life like?
1: So it started off, this is where it gets tricky. So my fourth year at Nova, I was diagnosed with stage four cancer. I was doing my fourth year residency at the Washington D.C. VA Medical Center, so the goal was to just go there and move back to Georgia and try to find a job as an educational audiologist. Um, But life didn't happen that way. So I got diagnosed with cancer during the fourth year, having chemo and trying to balance that last year, Um, and it just got to the place where I was kind of stuck for a minute. I had. Round of chemo that I had to do, Um, I had to keep insurance. So when you have a pre-existing condition, you can't change insurance companies like that. And so I kind of got stuck in a good way uh, with the VA for years and loved working with veterans, learned a lot, learned a lot about hearing aids, verification, a very great um, beginning for me. But I think um, in the end, it was just not really what I wanted to do um, in my life and so eventually i i transitioned back to georgia
0: are you in remission now
1: i am so this is almost year 17 oh, in remission yes
0: that's awesome i'm so happy for you thank you thank you that thank you. that's um that's amazing though that 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 you know you were hit with such a challenging obstacle in life you persevered and and you are where you are today which is really cool um okay so you were at the va for a portion and then when did you decide to embark out on your own and how did your mobile audiology clinic kind of come to be? Okay.
1: I just feel like my, <laughs> my life is a whole story, but yeah, after totally. the VA, I transitioned to education okay. and it started off at one school, then went into multiple district. So started off at the state level, one school, um, and then started off on the regional or went to the regional level. Um, it was during the pandemic when the school shut down and I had a moment to sit with myself and say, Brandy, are you really happy? And I love what I did. I love the, the students. I love the program. But there was a part of me that was not happy. And I think because when you start to work for agencies and people that have their vision of how audiology looks for their practice, sometimes your dreams and your aspirations are, you know, you have to shrink them back to give your all to their facility. And so I sat with that and um, I said, okay, I'm not happy. So what am I going to do about it? And so that's when I started to just fumble with kind of passions that I've had in the past, going on mission trips and um, seeing the lack of access there and how I could create something that was unique, that would set me apart and fulfill those needs uh, within my area.
0: So why? so, So clearly the idea of being mobile and having this, you know, you can kind of meet people where they are. That was a really important portion of it. When you say that maybe you weren't feeling totally fulfilled in your previous role as an educational audiologist, do you think that the, the void was, um, like entrepreneur entrepreneurship? Was that kind of what you were seeking was to be able to kind of create the world that you wanted to see?
1: I think so. I've always had contract positions. So in the school district, you get a lot of time off. So during that time, I would work different contracts, And I just saw that I like different aspects of audiology, audiology as well. And so I didn't want to box myself in. And so I think that was part of the discontentment is like I like I'm a little bit nomadic. Um, And I don't like the same thing every day. So to break up the monotony, to be more creative and be authentically myself, um, I think that's what was lacking.
0: That's cool. Okay. Mm -hmm. So um, this is interesting. So then (laughs) pandemic, which I think was such a Mm -hmm. giant catalyst for so many different people in so many different ways that it just kind of gave people, like you said, pause to think Mm -hmm. like am I happy where I'm at? And mm-hmm. again, I guess that's kind of a silver lining is that it it did serve as this forcing function for a lot of people to sure. make maybe a move that they ha- wouldn't previously had done, at least mm-hmm. not as yeah. quickly as they had. Sure. Um, so I like what you said about like this nomadic um, element to yourself and, and breaking mm-hmm. up the monotony in your day. Sure. So kind of like walk me through the what what the process was like when you were developing on-site?
1: So the process went back to grad school. I pulled out my practice management book and my old business plan, which was horrible. <laughs> it was horrible. Um, but you know, having gained some knowledge, taking some business courses during the pandemic and learning some things and grabbing my husband's MBA books and just really looking at how to develop business. Um that's kind of what it looked like. So a lot of studying things that you know we get a little bit in grad school, but not nearly enough, I feel yeah. to feel confident to go out in business and um, kind of bridging that um theory with passion and creating that. So a lot of research, a lot of education, but also a lot of being on Pinterest. And see, you know, design, and what's you know already been done, and how I can set myself apart. Myself apart. Um, it, that was really the process.
0: Was there um, a book? A uh, you said Pinterest obviously was a source <laughs> of inspiration for you, but what like when you were you said you kind of like laughed at your original business plan. Oh um, what were you using uh, to? hone your business plan and kind of come up with how you were going to make this all work. Like, was there any, single source of inspiration, or was it a multitude of things?
1: Multitude of things. So I pulled out the practice management book, which I feel is still valuable. It's one of my favorite books from grad school, Uh, but also taking free programs during the pandemic. A lot of things were free to us to kind of occupy our time. So I used that time to educate myself on the things that I was lacking. So Bank of America and Cornell had a program for entrepreneurship with women. And so I took that and immersed myself around women who really had a goal to to grow as business owners. Um, We had a program called Operation Hope here in Atlanta that gave free business classes and helped people get certified as a minority, as women, as veterans. So just really taking um, just, uh, you know, grasping those free things that were available during the pandemic. um, That was really the biggest thing um, that I was lacking in that I wanted to invest
0: in. Totally. Okay, cool. So you, um, you kind of created this thing, but when did you start to bring it to life? When was on-site audiology born?
1: Okay. So on-site audiology itself was born in July of 2020. Okay. And so that's when I'm like, okay, I okay, had right this in the heart idea of the pandemic. <laughs> right in the heart of the pandemic because I had time. Yeah. I had time. And, um, I remember not having money, though. I didn't have the money to build. I knew that I wanted to go mobile. At that time, it was not a tiny house in clinic on wheels. I just knew I wanted to mobilize services. And I knew the agencies that I wanted to um, work with, but I didn't have the money. And so I reached out to a few uh, friends and family and said, hey, this is my mission. I feel like it's partly ministry. Would you like to partner with me? Would you like to support And within a matter of months, we raised about $85,000. That was enough to uh, get started on this and not start a business in debt, which was very important to me because I didn't want a high overhead. I really wanted to be able to provide services. And if it took a minute to get a lot of revenue, still be able to provide and not have to worry about being in debt while providing services.
0: I love that. So... um you started it in July. Mm -hmm. When did you start, uh, you raised the money. Mm -hmm. Um, When did you start to get revenue? When did this thing start to kind of come to life?
1: So I launched in June and almost, yeah. Well, I launched June, 2022. So this was a process. So June of 2022, I haven't been in business long, but I immediately um, was able to generate um revenue, and I think the reason why is because it was a plan. It wasn't something quick. Okay, I'm going to do something. This is going to be quick and easy. You know, it was almost two years. You know, of researching and yeah. getting the right builders and contractors and engineers, um, and really talking to other professionals in different industries because it wasn't done in audiology to see how they do it and what um, advice. You know, what caveats they were, and. Um, You know, go that route. So, but I revenue came immediately because they're their needs. (laughs) That's super
0: cool. That's super cool. We'll get into that a little bit, but I want to actually go back a little bit. So how did you land on you wanted to be mobile, but why the tiny house, Mm -hmm. Um, which I should mention for those that are watching this as a video, your virtual background is your tiny house. right? Yes,
1: that's my tiny house. That's (laughs) so cool. Thank you so much. So I thought about several things. Uh, What I was most commonly familiar with was the mobile van. Um, But I knew to set set myself apart, I could not do the van. I needed to think outside of the box. So I thought of different ways. I thought about the hauler. And and I'm glad I did it because Brandy Murphy and I came out at the same time. And I just think it's great to have two different um, aspects of mobile audiology. But I remember a couple years ago, I was watching Tiny House Big Nation, and there was this rapper that created this. Um, it was a tiny house on foundation. He created a studio with a sound booth. And I remember telling my husband, wouldn't that be cool to do a tiny, a mobile tiny house on wheels? And that was years ago.
0: Mm-hmm. And that
1: thought came back. And so, it's
0: like, so cool. right,
1: we're going to do this. <laughs> Didn't know if it was going to work, but it does. <laughs>
0: Well, okay. So this is super interesting. So you literally have a clinic on wheels. Um, and so, you know, this thing comes to be when you were first getting started, like, you know, what were the groups that you were targeting? Um, I know that you do a lot of work with underserved populations Mm -hmm. around the country. Just kind of walk me through, like, as this thing was starting to take off, what were kind of like the, what was the day in the life?
1: Okay, so I'll tell you this, the mobile clinic, even though that was launched, that did not take off immediately. So those contracts did not come. I had to pivot, and I I guess we'll get into that a little bit later, but I had to pivot um, services in order to get that revenue. But when it came down to the services for the mobile unit, the goal was to find the agencies that had the patients. I didn't want to do a whole bunch of marketing. I wanted the patients to be there and be able to take the clinic to them. And so my population that I was most familiar with was education. So I was targeting school districts uh, that were under-resourced and um, had um, no audiologists within close proximity. But of course, sometimes with those districts, they don't want to spend money on things that they don't know if it's going to work. And so I had to think of other options. So I started to approach the Head Start Agency where there are, um, they're under-resourced, underserved. These kids have to have their hearing screened within 45 days, but then also if you find the hearing loss, who are who's seeing these kids? There are no audiologists and even ENTs in those areas. So just trying to become that bridge and um, familiarize myself with the practitioners in the area create relationships so that there can be that continuity of care.
0: I love that. Um, yeah. And I think it's uh, the, the jumpstart thing makes a ton of sense too, because I think that there's clearly been a push. It seems like lately around sure. early intervention, whether it be mm-hmm. Eddie and like the newborn screening, sure. but also I think these programs like jumpstart to mm-hmm. intervene. Um, we know these are really impactful things to do, but sure. to your point, like, I, I think that there are so many gaps that mm-hmm. audiology could be filling. Sure. And I think that it takes out of box thinking, you know, to come up with like, okay, well, how are we going to like meet these people where they are? Mm-hmm. We have to put a clinic on wheels or something mm-hmm. like that. So um when, when this part of your business was forming, was it a lot of, um, you know, like hearing screenings, um, or were you doing a lot of the work with, uh, the kids that maybe had failed the initial screening and you were doing the follow-up or were you doing both?
1: So it's both. So I have a contract with babies can't wait program here, which is the, um, they're a part of early intervention. So after their newborn hearing screenings, if they fail, then they'll get um, connected with Babies Can't Wait and get to, into early intervention programs and still have to have that audiological follow-up. So I see, you know, infants up to three years old in that regard um, doing um Oh, uh, acoustic emissions Doing pediatric tympanometry, so that level. And then when you get to the Head Start program, these were the kids that were missed because it would go from Eddie and then go to maybe um, Babies Can't Wait, then to public school, but everybody was missing the Head Start program. So these are the three, four, and sometimes five-year-olds that did not have audiological care. And so it would almost not be caught until they entered pre-K, in the public school system and have to have those testing to make sure they didn't have to be placed. So um, I, I didn't know that at first until mm-hmm. getting into that, that that was a gap and they had immense need for audiological services.
0: Do you feel like uh, your life's come full circle where you have kids coming into your, you know, tiny house and, and you're kind of presenting them with that same experience that you had where it's mm-hmm. bright you know, you have like this, mm-hmm. you know, really happy
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, audiologist like yeah. standing there waiting for them. Does that does that sort of fulfill you that you've kind of come full circle with your life?
1: It does. It shows me that representation matters, yeah. um, especially in these areas where the kids look like me and they're not used to seeing practitioners that look like them. Mm-hmm. But just giving them hope, you know, that you too, even though this may be your situation. Can be whatever you want to be. Can build whatever you want to build. But just to see those smiles and you know, just hear their conversations when they're sitting in there and say, "Oh, this is so cute." You know, that just warms my heart. And it does come full circle. That's awesome.
0: Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, Okay, so you you've outfit this whole thing, Um, mm-hmm. and you're now a full blown mobile audiologist. Like, are you ever going back, or is this oh, no. this is life? <laughs> so, so what it's is life? What is it about? Um, I'm sure. it touching on the nomadic element and Mm -hmm. breaking up the monotony and all that, but like, what are the aspects of being a mobile audiologist um, that, that you love the most?
1: I think it's, I feel like I'm at
0: this,
1: this point in my life, we may have it at this point in my life (laughs) that I am free and I'm authentically me. And there's so many things that I had to, I feel conformed to, to appease the vision of other people in their mobile or not their mobile, but their audiology clinic. But for me, I'm just authentically me. You know, you're going to get best practices. You're going to get the skill set, but you're also going to get compassion and empathy and understanding. You're not going to get a rush appointment. I'm going to spend time taking time to meet you where you are and get to know you. And I feel like it develops a different type of relationship that I never had um, with patients in the clinic before. Very different, very fulfilling.
0: I like that. Okay. Mm -hmm. And um, so, you know, one of the things that I thought, and I've mentioned this on some of these other episodes that I've released um, is like the thing I really enjoyed about this year's ADA was Mm -hmm. the sense of collaboration. Mm -hmm. You mentioned earlier, the other Brandy, you know, Brandy Mm -hmm. Murphy has the West Texas mobile Mm -hmm. audiology clinic um, doing something similar, but Mm -hmm. you know, with that mobile audiology pre-conference shop or workshop, I just was really struck by the transparency that everybody had, sharing their experiences, how they're finding ways to generate revenue. Like It was just really neat to have mm-hmm. th- and kind of be this fly in the wall in a sense of seeing how the industry is collaborating and the professionals within it were. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious of like in that spirit, mm-hmm. you know, if you were to kind of like go back to yourself when you were first getting started or others that are going to follow in your footsteps, what have you learned so far with embarking on your own and doing the mobile audiology clinic? Like what kinds of experiences um, and lessons have you learned that you Mm -hmm. wish you would have known when you were getting started?
1: The biggest thing is when you have a crazy vision to not suffocate that vision. You know, it may not be the status quo. You may not have people that right now can relate to you, but don't quench that vision in your spirit because it could be the thing that breaks barriers in this world. And I I really wish I could have told myself that because this was, like I said, I had my business plan uh, during my fourth year Um, and just have that boldness and confidence to step out on faith and also to, I think find that support um, that's needed and you have to put yourself out there. You have to be vulnerable. And I think during my early career, because I was hurt by people that I trusted, that I became more reclusive. I stayed in my little silos. I worked. I didn't put myself out there, Um, but I feel now that I've become more vulnerable I found different tribes, tribes with mobile audiology, tribes with APD, and people who really want to see you succeed and that you learn from. And so, just yeah, just step out on faith and 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 walk in that vision because it can break barriers and change lives for sure.
0: I like that. That's really mm-hmm. cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're obviously one of your sweet spots is with educational audiology and Mm -hmm. seeing, you know, kids in the, like, you know, the various stages of their um, their school, you know, ages. Um, Are you expanding into other fields like Mm -hmm. occupational health, other Mm -hmm. areas um, and other types of patients? I'm trying to kind of just understand the full potential of Mm -hmm. being a mobile audiologist and kind of like where, maybe some of the opportunity lies.
1: Okay, I would say that the opportunity is vast. So I built a mobile unit to do one thing, but on-site audiology has become an umbrella of services. So I have a virtual office where I do more consultative Um, evaluation so I may do hearing consultations there doing some APD evaluations and therapy in that office that might be a Monday. Tuesdays and Fridays um, in the morning I'm at an ENT clinic where I contract so I'm seeing a highly medical cases and you know anyone that needs hearing aids they become hearing aid patients. On Wednesdays and Thursdays those are pretty much my open days for contracts and so um, contract work is more PRN Um, And so you want to have consistent revenue coming in if in case your contract doesn't need you for a set of time. And so um, mobile is to me just being mobile. It's not this one um, dimensional type of um, process for audiology. I just feel like you can be creative in it. And as long as you use um, best practices and have compassion and, you know, it can be what you want it to be.
0: I like that. so mm-hmm. one question I have, um going, you know, kind of like to the start or even when you were in school um, mm-hmm. of your career, what's changed in terms of the um, call it like the equipment, or just kind of like, how have you been enabled by the the current landscape in twenty twenty two in ways that you previously might have been limited, like, Are you able to do a lot of what you're doing because of advances in any aspects of technology or anything like that, like where you look back and you say, I would have been limited because this piece of equipment wasn't portable in the way that it is. Is there any element of that or is it um, relatively what it was when you were in school?
1: I think most of it is what it was. So for real ear, I still use one of the um, suitcase verifit because it's most portable for me. I would love to have a verifit too, but it's just not feasible. Um, And I'm, you know, an audio scan verifit person. So I haven't transitioned to the MedRx. Um, So that I still use. Um, in terms of the audiometer in the mobile unit, I use an Ostera um, PC-based. So I think that has changed since 2002 to 2006. I don't think we had a lot of PC-based equipment back then. It was more so GSI, like 61, I believe. Um, so just you know transitioning to that. Video otoscopes may have you know, I don't know what they came about, but yeah, having access to that. Um, I'm trying to think of what else I use. OAEs are more portable now. You know, you have the scan, so um, those things are more portable. But I really think it some of the things we used back then um, could have, you know, been used in mobile.
0: Okay, cool. And yeah. I was just curious about that aspect of it. Yeah. Um, what about the social side of it? So obviously you're interacting with people all the time, but... Do you get lonely at all working by yourself in a mobile audiology clinic, or do you feel like you're doing so many different things and engaging with so many different types of people that that part of your job is, you know, satisfied?
1: Yeah, I'm not lonely by any means. So I've spent most of my career with multiple audiologists working in the VA. There were 14 audiologists. Um, You know, um, I kind of was at the point in my life where I kind of want to branch out on my own. Um, But there's so many people around. I rely on school staff to help out a lot in different areas. Um, And then again, I have these audiology support groups where it's not a lonely world.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's Mm -hmm. cool. Um, Mm -hmm. So when you were getting started, who were some of your mentors? Who were people that, um, you know, shaped your career, whether it's your mom, um, your, you know, your aunts, um, or were there any, was there anyone in the audiology world that shaped, shaped you? Shaped my world.
1: Um, Of course, it started at home. I talked about that earlier. I will say, I think I shorted myself as a beginning audiologist with mentorship. I was hurt by one person that I really looked up to and asked to be my mentor. And I shut myself off from that earlier on in my career. I'm seeing the value now transitioning and opening myself up more to that. So connecting to, um, oh. gosh, Alexander, Angela Alexander for APD um, in that group. So I just finished her master course and going into the treatment master course. Um, Don and just connecting with her and trying to get to know more people in this area. Brandy Murphy and other people in mobile audiology, Brad Stewart. So these are new relationships that I'm trying to um, just build and hone um, because that's not something I opened myself up to. I mean, I was extremely hurt, been through some hard, time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but you can't allow your um, career to be defined by that. You have to grow and you have to, you know, understand you can't do things alone. So I'm okay.
0: totally, totally agree. Um, mm-hmm. okay. So you mentioned Angela Alexander, her yes. ACD program. So this is, yes. this is kind of a cool element of this too, that I'm really excited about broadly speaking about this, sure. this industry in this profession is that there, there is, um, this prevailing narrative that their sky is falling, you know, that, um, that, you know, in this OTC era, where will the audiologist find work? And I couldn't disagree more with that. I think that we Mm. are entering into, in a way, I think the audiologist is reinventing themselves, like, Mm -hmm. um, writ large. Mm -hmm. And I think Angela is a great example of somebody that's like really helping to pioneer something that's existed for a long time, but Mm -hmm. taking it and making it Putting it more in the front of the conversation. Sure. So, how did um, how did you decide that you wanted to make APD a bigger element of your services, your practice? What was the the impetus for that portion of your services to to kind of take hold?
1: So the passion stemmed from grad school. And I remember having a preceptor, um, Erica Friedland, that really spent time with me, helping me hone um, that passion and um, connecting me with preceptors that could help me grow that. But when I went into the VA, of course, that fell to the wayside. When I met Angela, I'm like, okay, I can get back into this. And it was overwhelming because I had been away from it for so long. But she was so she's so relatable and comfortable to her audiology group and wanting to just really uh, develop audiologists to not be afraid and to step out because it's such a greater need. And so um, that's just kind of what it's been with her it's just really um, taking her courses and learning as much, but and not being afraid because I'm one, I'll take the education and maybe sit on it. And they're like, no, you go ahead and start seeing patients and you have the support. So just really, again, stepping out afraid and and, and getting that done.
0: So what's that been like making that part of your repertoire, um, Mm -hmm. um, having another tool in your belt that you can use? I mean, is that, that's gotta be a really cool feeling of just feeling like you're even more capable to help more Mm -hmm. people. Can you just give me a sense of what this feels like it's unlocked for you?
1: I think is unlocked the opportunity uh, for patients to have more access to services that they have. Been, they've lacked. They've, it's been under resourced. are not a lot of specialists in our area or in the world. So just really providing another outlet, like you said, another notch in your belt to provide a service that where there's been a lack of access, um, and not just stop at the evaluation, but continue on with the treatment um, in different areas. So you have pediatric, you have our, our rehabilitation where with the elderly population with cognition, um, doing some auditory therapy. So there are different aspects where you can. Bring this APD into light, and I think um, it's great to do it in a way that's mobile and offer telehealth services with it as well.
0: So, are you okay? So, let's continue with APD as like this example. Sure. Um, you make that. Um, you know, you start to get comfortable with it. You see, there's a ton of value. How do you then market that service, or how do you make it known to the contractors that you're working with, or the folks that you're working with in general? that this is something that you're providing. Um, that's, I'm trying to just kind of understand how you materialize this as a commercial offering.
1: Yeah, It depends on what aspect you want to market. So my aspect is a school district. Having those relationships from before makes that easier for me to go to the school uh, psychologist and say this is a service that I'm offering. You know, if you have a a student that shows some signs, talking with the educational audiologist, um, some of the DHH teachers that, you know, they don't provide services to the students that's been diagnosed with APD, but they're aware of that. So just really letting them know that you have that service available your ENT clinics um, you see a lot I've seen a lot of females especially since COVID um, display some symptoms of auditory processing so just uh, marketing that way I will say to you I'm not a heavy marketer I like to go where the patients are marketing is not my forte Mm -hmm. and I know it is a must-do in business but for me, it's just easier to go where the patient, the clientele is, and market to those professionals. And then, you know, that's how I get my referrals really from
0: word of mouth. Totally. But for something like APD, like the the kind of in the the question I'm trying to ferret out of my own mind here. Yeah, sure. Is, is like, um, you know, you you almost have to make some of these um uh, educators or you know whatever um profession it is that like make them aware that this exists because i, I kind of almost wonder you know again it, it's like uh the audiology bubble if you will where sure. we we as an industry or uh, you know in, in and then like the professionals as a whole they know that this this tertiary area could very well be the culprit behind mm-hmm. this specific patient but like i feel like there's this disconnect between what a non, you know, somebody outside of this bubble understands the potential, um, you know, solutions to be. So they look Mm -hmm. at it and they're like, okay, like I have, I don't even know where to begin this, this child clearly has some sort of need. So like, how do you, how do you start to kind of work your way in and say, there's more the, there's more than meets the eye here. It could be any one sure. of these things. I mean, do you basically just say like, let me be the one that does the analysis and the evaluation to determine mm-hmm. what that is? Um, and and what are those conversations like with these with these folks where they're becoming exposed to? the fact that an audiologist isn't just a hearing aid. Yeah, person, right. you know?
1: yeah. I think it comes down to taking that objective measurement and helping it make sense to the complaints because the patients are coming in with these complaints and most times being pushed away by people because they have normal hearing. So really doing those measures to see, okay, these are your deficits and these are the treatment plans that we can do to help Um, alleviate some of the problems that you're having. I I don't have a lot of patients, but the ones that I have, that's really what it's been about is having that hard conversation and then being a support system for their IEP team. Say, okay, this is what was found on the APD evaluation. The student clearly has issues processing speech and noise Though they may seem like they're getting by, this is a detriment. And so really giving the teachers the support that they need and just um, helping that student also advocate for themselves, and especially if they're older um, in those situations. A lot of it is education. Yeah, Um, And that's the biggest piece. We're going to have to get out there and educate. I was just reading um, an article by Frank Music earlier today. Um, I think it just came out by HTTM. But um, there was a councilman, Fetterman, that has been kind of putting APD on the map. And so I think with it becoming more prevalent, especially with um, COVID, because there's some brain fog that's similar to a lot of people who had chemo with brain fog, just really putting it out on the front forefront and not ignoring it and having the conversation and audiologists not being afraid of it and getting the education um, to provide that information to these individuals.
0: You know, it's interesting because you're like, I'm not really a marketer, but you're mm-hmm. yeah. kind of marketing in a different way with yeah, sure. education, right? Yeah. And so, sure. you know, I'm I'm thinking about like what's cool about your business, and and again, I think like this is so representative of the bigger opportunity for audiology is mm-hmm. that there's so much education that needs to be done. Oh, yeah. sure. I mean, I think that the industry and the profession needs a total rebranding of sure. Like we're so much more. The, the hearing professional Mm -hmm. is so much more than what the, the initial perception is or the existing perception of it is. And there's, um, so I think like, I think about your business, you're just getting started. And I would imagine like, you're probably, you said, I don't have a lot of patients yet, but how many of the patients that you do have? Came from referrals,
1: so I have a lot of patients. I don't have a lot of APD patients.
0: Gotcha. Okay, and
1: so I do have a lot of patients. Um, I think at this point I've seen maybe since June. I don't know if it's a lot because I'm not, <laughs> but it's a lot to me by myself. 150 I patients. A lot. Is that a lot? Okay. Okay. So yeah. Um, and so I missed your question because I was thinking <laughs> the
0: well. My, well, the question was like okay. you know if if um the you know opportunity basically stems from the fact that there is this giant like need to educate people that there's more that the like that that the audiologist is the um, de facto person for mm-hmm. a whole series of things you mm-hmm. know beyond just hearing loss and sure, sure, sure. and okay. so my question is ultimately like of the people that you're already seeing um how many of them are coming through your doors because of word of mouth referrals or most of them,
1: most of them. Um, I honestly have not done a lot of marketing and that was out of fear
0: is marketing.
1: Yeah, no, I know. But I'm saying just personally doing direct mailing and things like that. That's what I mean. Um, Yeah, I get what you're saying, but yeah, most of it has come from word of mouth working with, you know, contracting with an ENT um, local audiologists that may not, you know, provide services in this area, you know, sending patients this way. Um, insurance companies, you know, um, being excited, hearing aid manufacturers being excited. So most of them have come from. And I see what you're saying. I'm just,
0: <laughs> you know. Yeah. No. Totally. I, I just think it's yeah. like again, uh, the the reason I'm like kind of like sticking to this whole thing sure. is that um, I look at your business and I think, okay, first question I have, like ultimately that we've been talking about, is like where do you start? Where do you mm-hmm. how how do you get the ball rolling on establishing a patient base. And I think you've outlined some really smart ways to do that, Mm -hmm. but like, and it's like, how does that growth happen? And in, in, what I'm hearing is it compounds on itself because what happens is you, you through the course of seeing all these different patients and and having these different one-on-one experiences, people realize, oh, like we, the the whole root of the problem was something I never would have anticipated it was actually yeah. related to APD mm-hmm. where it then gets back to you know the preceptor or whoever it is that's mm-hmm. in charge of that educational audiology community sure. or whatever and and it starts to become part of the mentality that there's just way more here and I, again sure. I think that's the really optimistic argument for audiology broadly speaking is like As more time goes on and as more people lean into these other aspects of what the full scope of audiology is, Uh I think it's going to like ultimately lead so many more people through the doors of the audiologist because they're going to realize that it's so much that this professional does more than just hearing aids. Yeah. What I'm getting at.
1: Yeah. And I get that. And I feel like too, is educating providers that we would not typically work with optometrists, psychologists, just kind of thinking out the box of those individuals that will see your clientele and can be that direct referral.
0: Totally. Mm -hmm. Um, So what does 2023 look like for you and for onsite audiology? What I is just your would
1: like to develop um, a more... I think feasible plan for APD. I I see that being a big thing in 2023 and maybe doing less hearing aids um, because I didn't want to do a lot of dispensing. So I see that being more of my practice and more contracts with the schools. That's just my heart and what I want to devote that time to. And also developing other audiologists that may be interested in taking this route um, into mobile audiology, just embracing their vision and helping them build what they feel their ideal business will be so
0: you want to be more of a mentor
1: I do want to be a mentor something that I felt like I didn't necessarily have when I yeah. was starting this yeah
0: for sure I've mentioned this on the podcast before I, I personally over the course of doing you, you know 104 of these conversations um, I think that's actually one of the biggest gaps that needs to be mm. filled yeah. is I think that we like I think the industry needs to do a better job of fostering the mentor mentee relationships. Sure. <laughs> whether it's um <clears throat> a program that's dedicated to connect people. But I, again, I just, I think that one of the most positive things that's happening right now within this industry is this sense of collaboration.
1: Absolutely.
0: And it's like, how do we continue to build on that? Because you've learned so much mm-hmm. and and the sky is the limit. So there's sure. not, I, I really don't think that there's any need for, or, you know, like this scarcity mentality where people would be like, you know, Hey, you're infringing upon my opportunities and my clientele or whatever. There's plenty of opportunity. So So it's like, how, how then do, um, how do we make it so that someone like you that has this wealth of experience and knowledge, mm-hmm. you can transfer that to the next generation or whoever it is. And, and so like, I, I just think about that a lot about mm-hmm. that. That's such a big need. I think for this industry is um to create a, a mechanism, I think of connecting mentors that have so much field experience with the people that are just starting out so that, you know, I just think of it as like you have so much to give and and so much to to share. Um, And I would love for that to be more of a reality.
1: Yeah, and I I see I'm optimistic about it because like I said before, I was not involved on the private side. So a lot of these private sector audiologists, I didn't know, but just putting yourself out there and not shrinking back your vision and and trusting that someone won't take it and run with it. That's the big piece, just being vulnerable to that connection. Um, But I do see some, I, I see it going into a positive direction. I have, I feel like I've been very blessed with Uh, new mentors in my life.
0: Do you, um, see yourself like working with a university or, um, you know, kind of like, um, some source of where you could obtain the mentees,
1: Yes, so I'm currently working with Georgia State University. Awesome. They just started. Um, yes, yeah, they just started um, an audiology assistant program, and so providing opportunities where they can come and get some training, and hopefully, I can hire one of them <laughs> to be my assistant. Awesome. But hopefully, we'll get a program in Georgia, an AUD program. I don't know how long that will be, but absolutely
0: will provide some opportunities in mentorship. That's fantastic. Sure. So cool. Um, Okay. So as we kind of come to the close here, um, you know, we just talked about what your goals are for 2023, but you know, like where you sit today, what do you, what do you hope that onsite audiology ultimately becomes and what are your major aspirations with it?
1: My major aspiration is just to bring access to those areas that lack it and to break barriers in those regions. And so I can't do it alone. It's by community partnerships, by growing and not being, you know, repelling the idea that I don't know everything and to accept that growth and evolve and pivot when needed to make it a feasible practice. Because I think a mobile audiology practice can be feasible and can be lucrative if you play your cards right.
0: (laughs) I love it. Mm -hmm. So cool. Where can people connect with you if they want to reach out?
1: So Instagram is Doc Smiley 404. I'm also under um, LinkedIn. So that will be under Dr. Carla Smiley. Email address is info at onsiteaudiology.net and website is www.onsiteaudiology.net.
0: I love it. Brandy, thank you so much for coming on today. I um, I love your story. It's super cool. You really did just carpe diem. You you know you seized life, <laughs> and um, it's you. just really inspiring to see, uh, you know the, the what you've built and really a short span of time. And yeah. I think it it it's exciting for me to see, um, you know, as like this podcast continues, just all the different walks of life inside of audiology. Sure. And, you know, it really is kind of, uh, the only barrier is your own imagination. You can oh, kind of turn good. it into whatever you want. And sure. I think you're extremely emblematic of that.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you for your time.
0: Thank you for everybody who tuned in here to the end and we will chat with you next time. Right. Cheers. Bye.